Dick Allgaier is a former professional TV anchorman who in the 1990s became interested in remote viewing. And he learned from some of the best remote viewers on the planet who had been trained by the US military. More recently, he has set up crypto viewing from Honolulu, Hawaii. And he did a remote viewing experiment with three other remote viewers on a target that he didn't know, which turned out to be a space arc underneath the Atlantic Ocean. You're listening to Exopolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala, your source for the uncensored truth regarding the human, extraterrestrial, global, and political agenda. Click the like button and subscribe to this channel. And now, here's Dr. Michael Sala. <coughs> Aloha and welcome, Dick, to Exopolitics Today. Aloha from Hawaii. Sorry you uh, left the state. You know, I was always meaning to get over to the other island and see you, and I didn't get around to it. So this target that you gave us was um, really interesting. I was absorbed by it for a couple of weeks, and I look forward to talking uh, with you about it. Wonderful. Well, I know that you worked uh, for uh, quite some time as a TV anchorman um, in uh, Utah. So why don't you tell us about your your background as a TV broadcaster with mainstream news? I had quite an interesting double life going on <clears throat> for a number of years. I'm retired from TV now. I started work in TV in 1974 as a young man at the NBC affiliate KUTV in Salt Lake City, Utah. Moved to Hawaii because I love, there I am, a young man. That's uh, KTVX, ABC affiliate. That would have been 1983 right there. Man, I've aged. So came to Hawaii after that, was working in Hawaii. And one night driving home, heard the Art Bell show. And Art Bell, wow, what an interesting uh, radio show to listen to driving home late at night. And one night he was talking about remote viewing, interviewing Ed Dames, Courtney Brown, Joe McMonagall, Lynn Buchanan. And I thought, if that's true, if that's true, I need to learn how to do that. And I got the opportunity to go to Farsight in 1997. And that led me to Glenn Wheaton, who was teaching privately here on the islands, a form of, that's Glenn right there, a form of remote viewing developed by U.S. Army Special Forces. He was in Army uh, Green Beret Special Forces Intelligence, and they developed a method that he passed on to us. And I need to stress that he never charged. He would not get money involved. He, I worked I've trained with him for over 27 years. I did 18 years of weekly training and projects with him. So I learned more than a college degree from Glenn. And I, I owe him a lot. He taught me a really good form of remote viewing. So there I was being a mainstream newscaster and at the same time delving into this other world of consciousness and aliens and uh, human potential. So it was a very interesting journey. Well, I imagine having worked in military intelligence, uh, Glenn Wheaton had a lot of very interesting stories to share about uh, some targets. And, um, well, I mean, he, he taught you a method for being able to kind of like uh, get very accurate yeah. 
information. And uh, can you describe a little bit about the method that he taught you? Yeah. First of all, I need to correct you slightly. He really didn't talk about many of the targets that they worked. Um, there was still a non-disclosure agreement and uh, secrecy. So he never, he taught us the method that was, that would had uh, been declassified, but what they did with it, I asked him questions, you know, I'd have wine and scotch with him, try to get him drunk and try to hear war stories about remote viewing. And he was really tight lipped. Um, he stayed away from aliens and UFOs. Very rare would he give us a target like this. As for the method, it is the, the primary difference between what he taught me and what other remote viewing schools teach. It's kind of a dirty little secret when you learn most of the uh, uh, civilian remote viewing is they tell you never to close your eyes and that you can't actually see anything. There's never a point in most remote viewing schools where they say, yeah, you're going to see the target. They give you ideas about the target. They have you write lists of words and make diagrams and, and label it A, B, C, and D and, and get ideas about it. Glenn taught us that what you need to do is actually close your eyes, look on a screen that's up you know, in your field of vision with your eyes closed and train your subconscious to place visual imagery about the target so that you actually see it as an experiential visual reality which I did a couple of times on your space art uh, project. And, and that's over the years, you found that to be a very accurate way of being able to gather, gather the kind of like Intel on the target, just a visual screen. When yes. you close your eyes, just a bubble. Yes. On a, on a good day, it can be, it can be quite accurate. It can also be, um, it can, you can create visuals based on metaphor. For example, I was given a blind target one time and I saw a very clear image of a red brick building uh, burning with black smoke coming out of it. And it, it looked very real to me. I mean, I, I had a, a clear as day image. There's a red brick building. It's a big building and it's on fire. It's burning. And it turns out the target was Kobar Towers, which was a marine barracks in Lebanon, which wasn't red brick at all. It was uh, prefab cement, I believe. Uh, and it didn't burn. It was it was uh, it was a bomb blast. So it, the subconscious can take a reality, which is on a base level, a building uh, suffering extreme trauma from an explosion i guess it did burn and you can create it into what your frame of reference would make into a red brick building so sometimes it's not exactly literal it's, sometimes it is literal i mean there are i i have um probably hundreds of examples where i have drawn a target and drawn it exactly and this is verifiable known targets where you can get ground truth but I got I need to explain the way it comes to you. As I begin a session, I try to take a quick look for a second and a half. And it may, it 
it may just be darkness with a shadowy image that lasts for like half a second. It may be a uh, reverse image like black is white and white is black. It may be smudged and faded. It may be nothing more than an idea. And throughout the session, as you work and get more and more target contact, the visuals get a little bit better and a little bit better. And at some point, ideally, you want to get to a, a point where you get into a theta consciousness where you're near sleep and it turns into a little movie that you're seeing. So it's not full experiential reality every time right off the bat. Uh, sometimes I get 10 or 15 seconds of experiential full color reality. Sometimes I get more ideas and faded shapes. There's a whole range of, of experiences that uh, constitutes remote viewing. Well, you know, that kind of like in a television screen that you kind of create or that screen. I, I remember coming across some literature about uh, psychic children in China, how the Chinese military, the PLA, were identifying and using some of these kids for their, for their programs. Mm -hmm. And it was described just like that, that uh, these kids would see like a, like a screen, like a television screen that, you know, in their mind's eye and they would see that. And it would just play like a television, like all these images, wherever yeah. they put their attention. So, yeah, that, that it, fascinating. The, uh, one of the first times I actually successfully remote viewed um, the target, I I was doing a uh, a little drill where there's a certain uh, way you set your body in a breathing exercise, and this little movie started. And it was like I was from a surveillance camera. I saw a guy walking through a department store and it was like, wow, that was the strangest little vision. What was that? And it turns out it was the target. Glenn and his special forces guys in the 1970s, when the military, and it was throughout the military, they were exploring the possibility of remote viewing. And what they were doing was... Uh, there were different programs that were finding different psychics, like the Fort Meade program went to Ingo Swan and asked him how he did it. The special forces guys found a guy named Dr. Richard Ireland, who was actually had a show in Waikiki where he would do psychic readings on stage. And as part of his show, he had a challenge. He said, if anybody has a hundred dollar bill and wants to challenge me, if I can give you the serial number off the $100 bill, then I get it. And Glenn was in the audience and said, okay, I'll take that challenge. I have a $100 bill right here. And Richard Ireland closed his eyes, looked on his viewing screen, and on a board wrote the letters and numbers out. And Glenn said, I'm sorry, that's not correct. And Dr. Ireland said, oh, excuse me, I believe I wrote them backwards. Can you see if I wrote them backwards, but they're correct in the opposite order? And Glenn looked at his $100 bill and he had gotten the entire serial number correct backwards and he gave him the $100 bill. And at that point, the uh, Green Beret Intel guys hired Dr. Ireland and took him to a secret base here on the island, underground base on the island of Oahu. This is a true story and paid him a lot of money 
to back engineer what he did. And what he said was, I see it, I call it my blackboard. It's like a, a blackboard because it's reverse image. It's black and what I see is in lighter color. And he said it was about where I read and up at about a 60 degree angle. And so they used that and some other techniques to reverse engineer away. You know, if for those of you listening to me, if you've never tried this, you'd be surprised. If I was to take a target ID, you know, uh, a, a picture of something and give it an ID like A1, B2, C3, D4, and tell you, okay, close your eyes, look in, on your blackboard, look up at about 18 inches, focus there, and try to write those letters, A1, B2, C, C3, D4. And then when I say go, close your eyes and look for the target and see what you draw. A few people would, would draw the shape of the target. And it, uh, as we teach remote viewing, it's fun to watch people do that the first time. And they go, holy crap, I did that. How did I do that? So if you've never tried it, I think it's a skill that everyone possesses to some degree, because I was not really naturally psychic. So is it something that's um, easy to learn? I mean, can people be trained to be able to do that, just to visualize yes, they, targets? They can, they can be trained. It takes dedication, intelligence, curiosity, and tenacity. So um, you will, I could within a couple of weeks, you know, within 10 targets, you'll probably produce something that I will show you um, will relate to the target and you'll prove it to yourself. To do it at a high level takes, uh, the last class we trained after about a year of training, people are now getting, actually some of them worked your target and I need to show you that data at some point. Uh, we had some of the students work the space arc and they got good data on it. Well, I, I know that um, you've been training people for quite some time now, and you created crypto viewing. So maybe just explain what, what crypto viewing is and what's the relationship with the Hawaii Remote Viewers Guild? Okay. Um, crypto viewing is not associated with Hawaii Remote Viewers Guild. I was trained at the Hawaii Remote Viewers Guild, still have a good association with them, and uh, they do training. I was doing projects for, with Courtney Brown, and I did a project that involved a well-known World War II figure about whom uh, history has told the wrong story. And I don't want to get too deep into that because I published something that got taken down off the internet. So it was a famous figure from World War II whose demise the story may not be as told. And what I saw was this man living out his life, uh, escaping to South America as an old man, dying of natural causes and being buried anonymously in, a, in an, unmarked, it, an, an anonymous grave in a small cemetery. And I, I published that. <clears throat> and someone got a hold of me when they saw that in this the person that got a hold of me is, is someone that uh, there are people that keep information under 
uh, control. If somebody comes out with a story that doesn't uh, maintain the current uh, doctrine or the, the, the current narrative, they need to check it out because what I was told was the cemetery that I drew was exactly right, that I had seen it and that this was a true story. And I was told I needed to be careful and that um, I could do some work for people uh, that people would subscribe to pay to see it. And I said, I don't know you. This, uh, I don't remote view for money. I'd be hesitant to remote view for money. You know, nice talking with you. Thanks for the information. And then I developed a relationship. And what I was told was, Dick, people with your skill set uh, should never have to worry about money. So here's what you need to know. You need to know that the financial system is in transition and they're going to transition away from the US dollar and fiat money into cryptocurrency. If you learn about cryptocurrency and buy three Bitcoin, one for you, one for your wife and one to play with, you'll have generational wealth. And so in talking to this gentleman, I eventually acquiesced and said, okay, I'll, I'll do some projects for you. And we formed crypto viewing and it was based on doing remote viewing to document the transition to the new financial system. So that's how that came about. So at crypto viewing, we do cryptocurrency research and we also do what we call woo-woo targets, like targets for you, uh, targets of history, targets that are crypto targets, targets that are um, hidden. And we also uh, forecast current events. So here's here's my plug. It's uh, patreon.com slash crypto viewing. And I, I have it under my name. So we have a subscription service and people can see our remote viewing and the space arc uh, program is out now for our founding members. And at some point in a few months, Dr. Sala, I'll make this available for the public and we'll make it available for you. So you can present the whole, the whole thing. Should we tell the story about how the project came about? Cause that was interesting. Uh, yeah. Before we get there though, I'd, I'd just like to, um, maybe explain why it is that you follow a double-blind protocol. Explain the importance of that. Well, a remote viewer has to be blind to get true remote viewing data. You have to have what we call a, a null moment where your mind is completely blank and you have no expectation of the target, like if you told me you're going to remote view a target for Dr. Michael Sala, I'm already polluted. If you told me you're going to remote view the space arc that Dr. Sala is investigating, I'm totally trashed for the target because I'd have too many expectations. Um, you have to you have to have no idea what you're what you're viewing. Um, for example, if I told you the 
target was Disneyland, you're going to say, well, I see mouse ears, Mickey Mouse. I see the Enchanted Kingdom. I see rides. I see Goofy. Um, it just remote viewing for it to be valid has to be done under double blind. No hints. No, no, um, no front loading. That's that's our protocol. So that's the way we do it. And, and of course, that's the kind of military grade uh, professional remote viewing where you, you have two targeters, one targeter that gets the initial target, passes it off to a second targeter and then off to the remote viewing team. Is that yeah. essentially the way yes. it works? It would be it would be the tasker. So the way we did it at, at Hawaii Remote Viewers Guild in the 20 years that I did targets with them, I never knew anything about the target it was always double blind and most of the times i didn't know who it was for so i had spoken with you some months ago we met and we were just having lunch talking about exopolitics and you mentioned oh maybe you could do some remote viewing and i said oh don't talk to me can't i can't talk to you anymore if we're going to do this i I'd, I'd like to but it would have to be like don't tell me anything about anything you're investigating and don't let me know that we're uh, going to be associated with you. So I, I gave you to Ed in Florida, who is the, the guy that selects our targets. And so it was like, a, what was it about a month ago, somebody sent me a target and I didn't know who it was from. And the target ID was like, I can't remember it. I've done so many uh r7x2-a410 and i do my work and i didn't know who i didn't know who targeted it and i had no idea who it was for so that's the way we work it it would it wouldn't be valid any other way to say it was remote viewing the the viewer has to be totally blind yeah, I remember that. Uh, yeah, we met in January there in Honolulu. I got to finally and, meet you and, and do some surfing again. I, I actually did, went out there on Waikiki, caught some oh, waves. Oh, you did? Oh, oh yeah, great. Sure. Isn't that beautiful I, there? I've been missing the, the surf desperately here in Tennessee. Yeah, <laughs> I live right next so to a beautiful surf. lake, so it's very nice. I go out there paddle boarding, but it was my chance to surf a bit, so I took it. <laughs> so... I, I felt that I was I was afraid that I was going to come off as rude to you because I said, if 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 we're going to do remote viewing for you, I can have no further contact with you. Like, it's nice having lunch with you, but don't talk to me anymore and wait a few months until it's, yes. I, I least expect it. And yeah, so then yeah. we had this nice meeting and I was like, I couldn't email you, couldn't, couldn't text you. So we kind of like cut all ties so it's well, nice to get it back sense. together with you yeah now it makes sense i mean uh you know given given the way the process played out now it makes total sense because we didn't get to talk about this at all you know we just you know as you said we just began to talk about you know our backgrounds how you got interested in what remote viewing how i got interested in exopolitics and then you know after we said something about well you know we should collaborate and you said well don't talk any more about anything you've written or any projects 
uh, I want to know nothing about it. And stuff. Oh, fair enough. All right. That because I understand the, the 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 blind protocol, how that works. Yeah. Now I I'd never heard of this space arc. I mean, I was aware of some of your work, but I haven't been following it recently. So you've interviewed some guy, uh, Jr. JP. Correct, JP. I haven't I haven't heard that, and uh, I'm unfamiliar with it. So uh, all I know about is what I saw in the remote viewing, and it well, seemed pretty. It felt to me like I was doing uh, probably three different targets. It 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 felt like there was a craft like a big alien craft. And then I felt it had some, uh, there was some location with a lot of uh, hieroglyphic type stuff that was a record of human history. And then I saw links to a previous civilization that was like just barely becoming agrarian. So I was, I was a little confused. I was like, man, I'm bouncing all over the place on this. But it was it was fun. It was interesting. Okay, well, well, let's uh, let's begin by uh, because the the trailer was uh, released on April twenty four, and the remote viewing of the space arc was released on on April sorry April fourteen mm -hmm. on Friday. So why don't we begin just by playing the trailer so that the viewers who haven't seen it yet can get to see exactly what it was that was released, and then I'll start asking you questions about some of the things that you saw in this remote viewing. So yeah, yeah let's play that. Great. Famed UFO researcher, Dr. Michael Sala has a source who claims to have witnessed and explored an ancient UFO space arc in the Atlantic Ocean as part of a secret US military project. Remote viewers at CryptoView worked this as a blind target and went to this place that apparently is full of hieroglyphs and portals indicating evidence of ancient civilizations. Their final report took over two hours to present to Dr. Sala, and he was amazed. All the data and the final report and Dr. Sala's reaction at patreon.com slash crypto viewing. So let's uh, begin in terms of what you saw. I mean, there were four remote viewers uh, involved in that, and... Uh, we, we got to talk during the debriefing for that, but you you had your own uh, data that wasn't shared with anyone else prior to that debriefing that that I attended. So let's begin with some of the uh, drawings that that you made. Um, and I thought the, the wall can I can I first can I first um, I, I need to give a shout out to the other remote viewers, my uh, brothers in remote viewing. When we formed Crypto Viewing, originally it was Daz Smith and myself. So we have uh, me, I'm in Honolulu. We have Daz Smith, who is in the UK, and he is, uh, he's been remote viewing for over 20 years. He practices a form of remote viewing known as CRV, Coordinate or Controlled Remote Viewing. And I had done projects with him for Courtney Brown. So he and I go back a number of years. When we formed Crypto Viewing, I said, I can't do it alone. I need I need another viewer. And we brought Daz on board. So it originally was Daz Smith in the UK and me. Daz knew Edward Reardon, who is another really talented remote viewer, who is in Austin, Texas. 
So we brought him on board. The more remote viewers you have, the better you can, you know, nail a target. And then along the way, we had a woman, um, Hitomi Akamatsu, who was in Brazil and was unfortunately died in Brazil, a horrible tragedy, a real loss for the world and for remote viewing. Uh, and then we brought in Naim Vendreas, who's up in Canada. So there were four of us, me, Naim, Daz, and Edward Reardon that did the project for you. And how it works is they gave us a, they email us a target ID and say, here's your next target. And it's just a, a set of numbers and letters that's generated randomly. And someone, Ed, and I don't even know who tasked this. Maybe it was Ed or was it, uh, we have a guy named Jonathan. I'm still not sure who, who tasked it. That's, they keep us so far out of the loop. So they, they email us this target and then we work for two weeks and they give us a deadline. They say it's due by next Thursday. We send in our work. And the day that we did the debrief with you for crypto viewing, we were still blind to the target. We we were told there was going to be a mystery guest that was going to give us the debrief. But um, at the time we come on and they say, what's the most interesting thing you saw? And I showed the UFO. And then they tell us what the target is. So I just want to... Um, I don't think we're going to highlight much of the work of the other viewers, but they did tremendous work on this and theirs is all available at our Patreon site and it'll be made public after our uh, private subscribers have the first look at it. So we'll eventually show all of it. Well, that, that's, that's so. wonderful. And uh, certainly I, I did attend that briefing and I, I worked with uh, Ed. So I guess uh, Ed was the tasker because he just, talk to me and I described mm. to him uh, what JP had seen and uh, the articles gave him references. And so he came up with the targets. So then he, I guess he passed off the, those coordinates to a second person the, the, I guess you have the tasker, then a second tasker or second targeter. And then he passes it on to the four of you. Were, were you watching the data come in in real time? Like we yes. would do a target one day and send it in and then we'd be told continue or not. So yes. you were seeing it. Yeah. yeah. You, it, you it, saw it, the evolution of the data. Correct. Because I, yeah. I, I sent in, oh, I think I sent in six different packets. <laughs> I, I, I would do a little bit of work. You know, as a remote viewer, I don't know if I've given the client what they want. So I do this work and I send it in and they go, uh, Ed says, you're doing a good job. That's good. And I go, okay. And I can't ask, did I, like, I don't know if, 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 if I've answered the question. So um, I keep doing a little bit more and a little bit, like every day I do a little bit, I, I go back to that target and I get in my little, I have an EMF tent and a, and a red light, you know, and listen to theta tones. I get in my state and I'd work for another hour and send more in. I kind of went overboard on this one. I did, okay. did a lot of it's about a 50 page session. So, so you actually go into an EMF tent. So you create a kind of like a Faraday cage around yourself when you're doing the remote viewing. Yeah. 
I live in a condo in Honolulu that's on the 11th floor. And right now I'm just bathed in EMF, in uh, uh, Wi-Fi, cell phone towers, microwave transmitters, and everybody's, you know, uh, Wi-Fi. So what I found was I got this EMF uh, fabric that I put over my bed and it has a mat and I have an EMF meter and if i get in that it's much quieter and i find that that's a better way to remote view it it is like a, a faraday cage mm -hmm. and i i of course i don't want bright light uh for after images so i put a like a red bandana over a small lamp and i listen to tones that put me into a kind of a relaxed state and i go to town Great. Well, I mean, as you said, there were four remote viewers, and but we're going to be discussing what what you saw and some of the images that you showed um, in the uh, debriefing. And um, yeah, and and I just wanted to say that oh yeah, I I did get the initial feedback that Ed sent me from all four of you, and I commented about that. But that was the last time I that was the one and only time I gave Ed feedback on on the progress of the four remote viewers. But, uh, you know, let's go to some of these images that, that you drew. Uh, and, uh, you know, you just have these uh, alphanumeric targets and you you saw something uh, on the walls of this target. So you want to describe that particular image that you drew? Yeah, this is, um, if you see at the top, it says Playfair A2. Uh, that's a reference to um, we do three quick looks at the target where you it's called a visual ideogram where you look for one and a half seconds and you draw something and then you you probe uh, spontaneous ideograms for like is it simplex or complex or is it man-made or uh, natural and then I'm going to a place where I'm I'm looking for just a visual, like a shape and a sound, uh, a taste or a smell, a texture or a temperature, very low-level data. And on this target, looking at low-level data, I did a probe and I very clearly saw somebody standing at a wall where there was all these like uh, carvings, hieroglyphs. So I got a fresh sheet of paper and I wrote Playfair A1 and A2, I need to expand this. Yeah, I saw, um, now immediately what comes to mind when you see something like that is, oh, Egypt, you know, like Egyptian type hieroglyphs. Um, I didn't see them real clearly, but I did see, I was aware that there was a wall and there were carvings that had some meaning and there was someone looking at it. Right. Well, that's exactly what uh, my source, my army source, uh, JP, says that he witnessed when he went into this uh, space arc in the Atlantic Ocean or submerged under the Atlantic Ocean, that they walked inside of it and the walls uh, were covered with the hieroglyphs. And it was lit up. He, he described some kind of um, bright algae that, that lit it up. Um, here's another drawing um, that you did, again, showing inscriptions on, on the wall or hieroglyphs on the wall, which kind of matches what uh, JP said he saw with his uh, 
team. I think he described the first mission. I think there were like 15, 15 <laughs> military personnel <coughs> and archaeologists that were there exploring this space arc. I'll make an admission that I probably shouldn't make, but when you're remote viewing, you're not omniscient. You get these um, quick visions. So I see this person looking at a wall, but the, uh, contextually, I don't know where it is or what it is. It's like, um, I liken it to if you took a paper towel dispenser, you know, the tube that a paper towel comes in, and close your eyes and walk into a movie theater with a movie plane. And then you, you look through the tube at the screen for two seconds and then stop. And then you look at another scene and then you're going to try to describe what the movie's about. So yeah, there was a, there was a moment, well, a few moments where I, I saw those, the hieroglyphic things on the wall. But I, I don't think I ever said it was inside the craft. I thought the craft was different. I thought the craft had landed and people witnessed the craft and interacted with it and then went and drew the hieroglyphs as a result of that somewhere else. So I'm just trying to explain how my mind works in a remote viewing session, how I, you don't get the whole story. Like you, you're trying to piece it together. Let's see what this one is. Uh, yeah, that's more on the inscriptions in the wall, like old hieroglyphs, uh, smells damp, carved long ago. And I, I got the idea that it was a message to the future. Is there something to that? Is that was this some record of the past that is being kept, or, or uh, you know, a message to later generations? Is that does that sound like what it was? Our connection has gone bad again. I can't quite hear you. You're dropping. Oh, I'm out. sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, my um, uh, okay, now my you're good. source uh, JP he says that uh, he was uh, with some Aztec Indians who recognized the writings on the wall as very prophetic, and as they mm. interpreted the writings, because it was actually in the Aztec language. And as they interpreted the, the writings, they began to sing and dance. They were so happy because it, for them, they were saying this is the return of Quetzalcoatl. It was predicting the return of their ancient god king, Quetzalcoatl, or, or whatever you call him, a, a great scientist that helped establish mm. civilization in the Americas, that the writings on this space arc, according to J.P., uh, contained the prophecy of the return of Quetzalcoatl and the Aztec Indians were celebrating when they read this. They were so happy. He said they were crying tears of joy. So you, you, you nailed it. That was exactly what was on this on the walls. It was these hieroglyphs or this Aztec writing that was prophetic in nature and the people that could understand it were in rapture over it heralding that their god king was returning. 
Well, it's my understanding that we're at the end of this current civilization and that it's time to wrap up this show and that a new civilization is going to uh, be birthed. And it will be a <clears throat> difficult birth, but would that dovetail with what this, what they were saying and what this would indicate is that um, what I've learned is that we were, somebody created this place and created us and put us here for a purpose. And this is not the first time we've been here. There are, are such civilizations have been here before on earth, like maybe half a dozen times. And that each civilization has its run and then it wraps up and a new one comes out. And that, that overlays with the transformation to a new financial system, which is going to be digital distributed ledger technology as a way to, as a way to administer and uh, uh, keep the accounting of humanity. But that, that's a really deep story. I'm just, yes, I'm just seeing overlaps here. Okay. Uh, yeah, so the kind of like the end of the age, that is something that these space arc experiences definitely are kind of heralding that, that we are ending one particular phase in our evolution as a civilization, but unlike Atlantis that collapsed and was destroyed and as described by Plato, our kind of like Western global civilization is, is just going to go through some transition to something else where we become like a galactic society. Um, so yeah, that's one of the other images you drew. So you want to talk about that one? This, this was more of my impression of what was on the wall. Um, I, I felt that the word ochre came to me and I, I, my sense of it was like um, <clears throat> Egyptian hieroglyphics, but painted with really bright colors like gold or yellow. And so I, I had a sense of it was, uh, they may have pictures of the craft, uh, star stuff, um, people working, uh, animals and gods and uh, deities. I was just, I, I was just, you get a quick look at this and then you go to draw it and it's like, oh, what did I see? And so you kind of interpret it with your, your imagination fills in the blank. So this may not be literal, but I think that was, that's more of the wall. I'd be yeah. interested to hear what JP thought of this. Uh, yes, I will get him to have a look at it. Um, but the walls, as you said, tell a story, and, and which is what JP said, that this is the walls actually record the history of humanity or the history of uh, peoples that were taken into these space arcs in earlier eras at the end of an age, that this has been going on, as you said, for a long, long time. It's, you know, we're not just talking the end of Atlantis. Oh, okay. We're going way back. So do you have the sketch that I drew? There was one, this was a really good visual that I saw. I saw the craft 
and then I saw people all around it. Yes. And they were like walking in formations circular around it. And it, yes, it wasn't underwater. Like it's underwater. It's not that one. Not that one. It's a black and white one. Keep. Oh, you've got the whole session. Keep going. Oh, that's it. We didn't uh, get all of them. Oh, okay. Um, well, there was there was one that I saw. Well, that 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 one right there would uh, indicate, like, yeah, taking the people in. Large craft looked like it reminded me of Close Encounters. Like mm -hmm. uh, here it is. Like the selected people get to come into it. That's that's interesting. What what you saw because uh, that is the what, that is the, one of the key functions of these space arcs. That during times of transition, you know, um, impending cataclysms, uh, these space arcs appear, and uh, people are given the choice of like. You, do you want to get on these space arcs and be taken to safety and then you'll be part of the reseeding of humanity? Or do you want to just stay and ride it, ride it out? And if you survive, good for you. If not, well, um, you know, that's too bad. Um, and and this has been talked about um, going back. I mean, uh, the arc stories go back to the Sumerians. Uh, the Bible talks mm -hmm. about Noah's Ark and... Utnapishtim, the Atrahasis, and you've got other cultures talking about this. Um, I, I was really intrigued. One of the most powerful stories I, I got was from Dolores Cannon, where she talked about uh, these space arcs appearing, that, that it wouldn't just be one. It would be like literally hundreds of them, very large. We're talking like you know, more than several football fields in size, you know, like a mile mm -hmm. wide, capable of uh, taking tens of thousands of people on them, that these would appear all over the world, hundreds of, hundreds of them. And in that area, there would be someone who would know the pilots or the extraterrestrials. They mm. would know them and their job would be to like inform the others around them that, look, something really bad is going to happen you know, get on this ark if you want to save yourself. Get on this ship if you want to save yourself. And and so she talked about that in, I think, The Convoluted Universe, Book 3. She described mm -hmm. vividly how that process works. And once these people get on the arcs, uh, only a few days seems to pass for them. But when the ark returns, thousands of years have passed on the earth. And so they're part of a reseeding. Oh, the time dilation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Let me let me insert one caveat here that uh, it it could be like it, it there is a possibility that um, literally that space arc is not down there and that what we remote viewed is the myth of the thing that the uh, the idea of it is so strong. The mythology of it is is strong enough to create a remote viewing event. We've done. I I did a project where I made up a place. I made up a, a dam and a lake and people sailing on it and this whole 
I, I made a, I made it up in consciousness and I gave it to remote viewers and they remote viewed it. So if this is, it, it could be something that doesn't really exist, but could be a myth, but it's such a strong myth in consciousness that you're able to remote view it. I just want to, I'm not trying to debunk this. I'm just saying that's one possibility and that needs to be considered. So, mm -hmm. well, you know, very interesting because uh, so far what we've got is, you know, this um, individual JP who says he's been on three uh, missions to this space arc with the, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, led that a part of the US military that and these have been multinational missions with, uh, Chinese and Russians. So, you know, they're describing a real physical object underneath the ocean. And um, there have been others that have used, that have heard about it uh, through their contacts with extraterrestrials. Um, and, of course, your information or the information from the remote viewing team kind of like adds another perspective on that. We did... Um... I subtasked this out when I was working it and I realized it was an interesting target uh, toward the end of my work. I gave the target ID to three other viewers outside of crypto viewing and they all got the similar craft. And one guy drew the same uh, hieroglyphs that I did exactly. So that's... Um, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Three other three other people did also saw the same thing. Yeah. So that well, lends more credence to it in my mind. Well, here's uh, something that you described seeing inside of the the target or the structure. You, you you saw chambers. So you want to explain what it was that you were seeing here? Um. This was difficult to access. Um. There was like a closed compartment, and one has um, human remains, like biological remains. Like, uh, I want to say mummies. And then the other chamber had artifacts. Um, and I kept getting scrolls, plaques, tablets. Um, things that were historical in nature, like a record. So there would be a room of records and then a room of biological remains. It's very interesting you described the biological remains because one of the things that JP says he saw in there were these sarcophagi. Uh, these large sarcophagi, some of them were, were kind of like big enough to hold... Um, a giant and and you you describe this here this this could be like a tomb and the way mm -hmm. he described it was that these uh, giants were in stasis that they were still alive but uh, i guess from the remote viewing it might appear that they're like mummies but they're but they're still alive in some sort of stasis condition i did see a really tall well, two of us, uh, two or three of the viewers using the HRVG method did have tall beings, like really tall beings. Um, the, what, it's my understanding of how humans got here 
Well, I actually did this as a remote viewing on another target that um, the space beings that seed humanity to this planet and other planets, and there's apparently like 100,000 planets in our galaxy that have life similar to ours, is that they have a, a DNA database, like a DNA uh, uh, library. And so they can go to a planet and assess the conditions, the makeup of the atmosphere, the gravity, the life that's already evolved on that planet. And then they can tailor make using their DNA laboratory, a proper vessel for our souls to come and inhabit. That's my understanding of how um, we got here and how the this little biosphere, this botanical garden was created and how we were put here. That's partially through sources have told me and partially through my remote viewing. So that would dovetail with your space arc story. Mm -hmm. Yes, that these are beings in these are. Uh in these uh, sarcophagi, these giants are the, uh, ostensibly the crew of that space arc who are all dormant, but their soul or consciousness has reincarnated into a human body and is living. And, and, and this is one of the things that apparently uh, the, the space arcs have orbs and are looking for the crew. Well, here's uh, another one, uh, another interesting image that you drew. So you want to tell us about it as... Let me read this because I um, and put myself back to how I experienced this. It it felt like a, um, a a place that was a portal, right? And it had these hieroglyphs on it, but there was a place where um, spectral forms or spirits would emerge. And then I really got a clear image of a, of a carving, like a stone face, a, a face in stone. And at certain times, it would animate. It would like a, 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 a weird glow would emanate from it. And it would be like, hey, there's a real spirit behind this, this carving. You can talk to it if you know how to do it. That that was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in remote viewing, and the and the complexity of that um, realization when I was in my little tent doing that was like, what was that? How do I describe that? Because it's a it's a knowing, like if you walked into a place and saw a face a stone face on the wall and you looked at it right, and it was like a movie, like it became animated, it started to glow and then animated and started you could know what it was saying to you. You'd think you were friggin' crazy, but that's what I experienced. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, this uh, portal that you saw in there, I mean, that's uh, what JP described as one of the primary functions of these arcs is that they are, they have a, they, they have portals inside them, space-time portals, and you literally can walk through one of these space-time portals and you can go through to somewhere else, uh, either to another space arc or to some other place that this portal system connects, 
connects to. And and I, I know you drew several kind of like um, pictures or uh, ideograms showing um, portals or stargates. So here's another one. You want to tell us about that one? First of all, on the subject of portals and stargates, after I did this um, target, I asked someone that I trust that is quite knowledgeable, like, are there these space arcs? Are there portals? And I was told, yes, there are. There are, there are um, places on Earth where there are portals like this. What I saw here was um, a, a waveform that was three-dimensional. I had a hard time drawing it because I, I drew up in the left. I said, when you look at a wave on an oscilloscope, it's two-dimensional. So you see a screen and you see the amplitude of the wave. When I saw this wave, it had a, the amplitude was um, 360 degrees. It formed up as a, I could see it as a, like a, a sphere almost. So I was trying to draw a wave that was three dimensional. And I, what did I say? This is an important force in nature physics Oh, I saw it involves a stargate. Yeah. Okay. So I saw that the energy involved with the stargate was something with amplitude of waves in a 360 degree field. And I don't have enough physics background or, you know, I've heard of a stargate, but it was over my head. It was, I just saw the energy as a, as a, as a round amplitude of waves. It was beautiful. Right. I, yeah. I, I tried to give it those the turquoise and purplish color because it, mm -hmm. it was a very colorful waveform. Well, very interesting. You, you describe it as turquoise and purplish color because uh, JP says that uh, the, the space-time portals inside the arc that he, he saw um, in the Atlantic space arc was actually like a um, uh, bluish purplish color mm. it, it was a it was a sphere perfect sphere and it was like a, a bubble big bubble of water and he said that this was this was a portal you could go through yeah. it and you would uh, appear at different places so you know again this was one of those images that <coughs> really i thought was a really powerful corroboration well i'll i'll, I'll tell you something just about the the nuts and bolts uh, procedure for remote viewing is when I'm doing it, I have a, uh, at this point, I have a clipboard on the bed next to me and a black pen. And so I get these visions and there were a bunch of pages of notes, but if I draw it in color, it means that it had a, a more profound impact on me. It, it, it was, I saw it in color. So after I'm out of session, I have a, uh, actually a set of colored pencils and i went and i said man that was blue and purple and you know turquoise and so that's how i tried to draw the bubbly waveforms that i saw so yeah that was my representation of it mm -hmm. these are the aztecs i think yeah you want to tell us about them this was so 
such a non sequitur, so incongruent within the remote viewing because I'm looking at this big craft that comes down and people go in and out of it. And I go, okay, it's a UFO target. What the hell is this? And then I saw the Egyptian type hieroglyphs and I'm trying to get more and more on the target. And I, I, I have to, I go in and out because I, I go into target I get visions, I get realizations, I know things, and I have to come back to enough consciousness, enough left brain consciousness to write my notes. So I write the notes and then I have to go back down to that state to get back to target. And they'll take me like 15 or 20 minutes sometimes to get back down to where I'm seeing it. So it was in one of those cycles where all of a sudden I saw these two guys and I go, uh, they're meeting the visitors and my realization was that the head religious guy of that like tribe or civilization comes out like i'm in charge i'm the guy you need to talk to and the visitors said no um you're not you're not the real thing and I, and it was a it was enough target contact <laughs> this guy urinated he was like scared he was like he was turned away um and they selected this other guy and um they said he has the real wisdom this is a formidable man this is the guy that we want to be a representative like they they chose him and rejected the other guy basically and um so that was just a little interlude in my remote viewing that was like, what does, what, when did this happen? What does this have to do with the target? Um, it just, it seemed so disjointed to me. Well, but yeah, I saw best, it pretty clearly. Well, the backstory of that was that uh, these Aztec Indians, they got separated from the, uh, from the military personnel and archaeologists from uh, the, the US and the Chinese teams. And so they got separated and they were able to penetrate deeper into the ark because they recognized the prophetic literature. And uh, But one of them stayed behind um, and he was like an interpreter. Uh, mm -hmm. But the others were able to go to move forward. And uh, they went in and they disappeared for uh, several weeks. And that was... Uh, Later, after several weeks, that, an, uh, that a follow-up mission occurred where these Aztecs were supposedly rescued. But that takes me to the next image I wanted to show, which shows the, the tunnel and a, a civilization you drew. Um, so yeah, I wanted you to kind yeah. of elaborate on, on this. Well, I drew that exactly as I saw it. And um, I said, it, it's a vein to the heart of Mother Earth. And there may be beings that live in there, but it had a real strong spiritual feel. The sense of this is an artery to Mother Earth, and it goes to another place and another time, another dimension, another, uh, yeah, it, it just, it, it was like that goes somewhere and it seemed important 
but here again, the context of it in a remote viewing, I, I, I just, why am I seeing this? Like, wow, that's a real good visual. That seemed to be in like rock or bedrock, mm -hmm. but uh, very powerful energy drawing me. You can tell that I took some time to draw that just, just right. And I'm not much of an artist, but uh, yeah, that goes to another place. Yeah, well, you, in there you draw, you, you you write that there may be beings that live underground. This is a portal mm -hmm. you know, to those beings. And that's exactly uh, what JP described happened to the Aztecs from this space arc, that they went through some portal into an underground civilization um, that was controlled by these ant beings or ant people. And these ancient ant people greeted and actually hosted these Aztec Indians for, for that several weeks. And then when it was time for them to return, they returned. And, um, and then that's when they were supposedly rescued by the multinational mission involving the Russians, Chinese, and the Americans. But, uh, yeah, th that the arc not only connects to arcs elsewhere uh, mm -hmm. on Earth or off-planet, but also connects to these underground civilizations um, all over the earth. Well, here, here's a question. Are the arcs going to appear pretty soon and take some of us up and uh, for the next round? That's a serious question. I mean, I, I, we are coming to the, this uh, civilization is teetering. Mm -hmm. We're in the, I, I, I call it the sudden death overtime of Western yeah, civilization. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what's happening. This to me is like, a, um, like we're in a countdown. I mean, everyone assumes that the deep state and the white hats are fighting this titanic battle for, for liberty and freedom and, and you know, where's our mm -hmm. planet going to go? But, but really they're reacting to a timetable, a countdown. And, and I yeah. think this countdown involves uh, extraterrestrials and these space arcs, that these space arcs are activating and they're releasing hundreds, even thousands of probes. And interestingly, my source, JP, says that one of his more recent missions was to um, a classified library at, an F, at a military facility, and, and he was asked to find out what the ancients had to say about these space arcs because the military and the deep state are in a panic because they, they can't control the space arcs. They can't control what they're doing. They can't control what mm. they're releasing. And apparently they're releasing a lot of these probes. And these probes are now, you know, they, they've, I think these probes perform several functions. One is to, like, check the, the current state of human consciousness to determine, well, you know, are we worthy of this experiment continuing or should the experiment be brought to an end? Um, and secondly, they're, they're looking for the crew of the space arcs. Uh, the people who have incarnated in human bodies, who are the crew. And once they find the crew, then they're ready to take them up into the space arcs because they'll be the ones that... And, 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 the, and the third thing is that the space arcs, you know, they're either going to play a role in kind of like evacuating millions or hundreds of millions of people uh, in, if this experiment comes to a kind of like a sad conclusion or mm -hmm. they're going to release the secrets of the ancients, help humanity 
transition into a galactic culture, not so much because we get kind of like a lot of these extraterrestrials showing up and giving us advanced tech. It's like the arcs kind of reveal that these these are the ancient technologies that prior Earth civilizations had, and this is being released to you. This is this is your heritage. It's like you know you get an inheritance, and this is mm -hmm. our inheritance as a civilization that we get. You know the the wisdom of the of the Atlanteans, of the Hyperboreans, of whoever came before them. That all of that ancient wisdom has been preserved, and these space arcs play a role in preserving that and in releasing that to us if we're worthy as a civilization. And, and I think we've kind of reached that point where we are going to continue because um, even though there's always that danger that we might implode in, in some kind of like crazy acts of kind of global war or who, whatever, but I think everything is pointing to us kind of like evolving in, in a kind of muddled way, but we're evolving into a galactic society. Well, it, my understanding of, of how this works is that um, technology is released, the technology exists, and it's, it's parceled out to humanity. And we're getting to a point where the technology changes the administration of Earth and that every civilization has its own timetable and its own uh, expiration date. And some of this may relate to uh, cosmic events, like events taking place in the solar system or the uh, position of the solar system within the galaxy and cycles of Earth that are known to those outside of time, like not us, but... Uh, there are natural cycles where things are going to happen where there's going to be a reduction in humanity and then the newer version of humanity will emerge with greater technology um, greater understanding and uh, yeah a lot of this technology and interaction with ets will be revealed and allowed so that's that's kind of my take on it from what i've learned Mm -hmm. Well, some of these are later images uh, that you sh that you drew of these uh, space arcs. There's there's one in particular that got my attention. The one that showed um, you know blue something blue in the background. And and your initial impression, uh, uh, yeah, go to the previous image, Jazz. Yeah, that one there. Oops, you passed it. <laughs> Not that one. The other one. There we go. No. <laughs> the prior one. Yeah. One more. The one, the real colorful one. The real color. That's it. Stay there. So you drew that. So tell us, you know, you, you have some blue there. So what, what was your initial impression of that? I, you know, I didn't know. I, it just felt, I, I never realized I was underwater to tell you the truth. I never, uh, I would assume, well, how deep is this thing supposed to be? Like, is it is it down in the blackness of the deep ocean? Or is it like 250 feet? I, I never, I couldn't tell you from my remote viewing. When I, when the target was revealed and said, this is a space arc that's beneath the Atlantic, 
now I look at my sketch and it makes sense because my subconscious was giving me the correct drawing. Like, okay, that's on the bottom of the ocean. You can see the blue water around it. But I never had that realization, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like I say, the, you're not omniscient when you're remote viewing. It's you're, You just get a, a few pieces of the puzzle and sometimes you're not able to assemble it. What did I say here? Um, it, 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 honestly, Dr. Solid, that reminded me of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I saw the light and the, the contrast, the parts that I drew in yellow. I can't, I couldn't get on paper how bright this was. It was just like the, the um, Steven Spielberg when he did Close Encounters had mm-hmm. that real bright backlight. It was similar yep. to that. Well, you know, to answer your question, I, I don't believe the depth is all that great because above it there is a kind of donut-shaped uh, naval craft with an elevator that goes down. So we're probably talking several hundred feet, a couple of hundred feet, something mm-hmm. like that that goes down to it. It's the Bermuda Triangle area, which I don't believe is very, very deep around there. Uh, but, yeah, I thought this was remarkable that uh, you, you had this spacecraft um, at the bottom of the ocean, uh, mm-hmm. because that, that's exactly what JP described this as, as that it was a space arc that has that kind of like a uh, ovoid shape. And there, there it is. I mean, you, you drew it. And it wasn't just you. The Some of the others in the remote viewing, yeah. uh, they had similar, they described similar things to what we've discussed. So this was multiple remote viewers independently corroborating this device or craft at in in a kind of location, in that location that was given to them. So experientially for me, I'll explain what it's like. I don't know anything about this target. It's just a set of target letters and numbers. I don't know who I'm working for. And I don't know if this is a historical target. It might be a future target, like what's the death of the dollar? What's, you know, when are we going to be using cryptos? Or it might be, um, you know, what happened to uh, Napoleon at a certain date, or it could be anything. And so I, I don't know. And I'm, I go into my state, and that's one of the clearest things I saw. Is like, damn, I saw a, a oval craft surrounded by blue, you know, rusty. <laughs> And I go, am I really going to, yeah, I'm going to draw this. And I go, man, I hope I don't make a fool of myself here. But that's what I saw. So I'm, I'm trained to just put it in, but it was like, hmm, who's this target for? This is not a typical crypto viewing target. But yeah, right. I saw that. And, and the fact that you had all these lights, I mean, that corroborates again, you know, what my insider JP is saying, that these arcs are activating that they are beginning to uh, you know, power up and they're, they're getting ready to launch. They're getting ready to rise. And the deep state, the white hats in the military can't stop this. This is out of their power because we're at the end of a cycle. Um, and it was always, and this, this I think is why you're having now, I mean, I mean, you, you think about this, that you, you have the head of the new uh, old domain anomaly resolution office Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick writing with this uh, former head of uh, Harvard University's astronomy department, uh, 
uh, Professor mm -hmm. Arby Loeb, they're, they're writing, uh, they put, proposed that a lot of these UFOs that are being cited are coming from alien motherships. Yeah. That's, a, that's exactly what JP is saying is happening right now, that the ARCs are releasing probes, thousands of probes. When, when we publish this on our site, uh, one of our subscribers watched the video and said, I think they should take, uh, they should activate it and take the remote viewers down to tour it. I would, that would be cool. Give, give me a tour. Sign me up. Definitely. I mean, I've already seen it, but I'd like to see it in uh, reality. Mm -hmm. I, I, I would like to see that wall because I, I saw that pretty clearly. Those were my, you know, if you ask me, like, describe this uh, target in a one paragraph. There's a big craft sitting somewhere surrounded by blue, and there's something to do. There's a, there's a uh, wall full of hieroglyphs that tells an old story. Uh, this has interaction with ancient people and ancient civilizations. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. I well, think, uh, I, I recommend that, that people go to watch the full report. It's, uh, I think, what, just over two hours? And where can people go to watch it? Yeah. Patreon.com. So patreon.com slash crypto viewing. I'm not sure at what level. I'll have to. I, I think we'll probably try to put this out at the lower level. There's there's a founder level that is costs more money. I don't think they'll put it at the introductory level. I think they'll probably put it at the medium level. But Dr. Sala, this was such an interesting um, target, and we're honored to work with you that we'll, we'll put this out. We're not going to keep it just for ourselves. We need to give it to our um, – the purpose of patreon.com slash crypto viewing is to – allow the remote viewers a safe place to do targets like this reliably and to give them a living. So Edward Reardon and Daz Smith, uh, Daz Smith was going to give up remote viewing because he couldn't make a living at it. And crypto viewing enables him to do that. So we'll, we'll give that to our subscribers and uh, I'll come back on with you and we'll do more when we can put it out for public for everybody and let you publish it, too, because we don't want to we want to show it to the world. So we will in, in good time pretty soon. Yeah. Thank and you. Thanks for, that. for the target. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. And, and I'm just so pleased with the results that, you know, corroborating, um, you know, what uh, JP is saying about the space arcs. And uh, I really recommend people that are watching this to head over there to uh, the uh, Patreon site for uh, crypto viewing and, and subscribe because, uh, as uh, Dick said, it's a great way to support the remote viewers because they're doing they're putting a lot of time into this. And I know Dick doesn't do this for the money, but as, as he said, that some of the others, uh, uh, you know, they, they have family or they have a, a life that they need to support. And uh, by subscribing to Patreon uh, crypto viewing, you can support them so i highly recommend you yeah. do that and uh the, i just want to the structure there also the, i'm sorry to interrupt you the structure there also allows us to do work for people like you under a blind protocol so that's important it uh, there are any number of uh 
people would love us to work remote viewing targets for them. And some of them we don't trust. Like we won't work, work a target for someone we don't know something about and don't trust. Uh, we trusted you and it was a valid source, but it had to go through ad. So it, it needs that structure in place to keep it um, viable for the viewers. So that's, that's another reason we have that structure. So any final words you want to share with my audience about uh, your work, upcoming projects? Um, I'm about to do a, it's not remote viewing. I'm going to give a little lecture at a whiteboard and draw things and talk about what people need to know about the transition. And the transition is what we're talking about here today is uh, if this thing is activating, if, the financial system really is in its final legs. If our, if our civilization, as we can see, is being dismantled, um, all the pillars of our civilization, uh, education, finance, medicine, politics, science, people are losing faith in all of that by design. It needs to all go into an ash heap so this new civilization can rise up out of that. And I, I suspect that maybe um, we're telling the same story here, you and I, with little different methods of getting the data and a little different interpretation. Don't you think that's the case? Uh, yes, I think uh, we're using very different sources, but uh, our conclusions are, are very, very similar. And uh, definitely thank you for your work and, and for kind of like giving this type of uh, information on these very difficult to corroborate sources. I mean, you know, I'm, you know in my case, I'm trying to corroborate a, a, a U.S. Army insider that's being taken on these uh, highly classified missions to space arcs and underground civilizations. So how do you corroborate that? Well, um, you know, you, 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 have, uh, you have to use exotic sources to kind mm -hmm. of like corroborate that and remote viewing. Yeah is an independent way of doing that. And uh, I'm very glad that, that you and um, other remote viewers are, are doing this kind of work and coming up with independent data that we can say, okay, this, this, this actually checks out. In, in your experience, and you have far more experience in this field than me, uh, than I do, are people are being allowed to tell their story now? Is this being allowed to come out? People's non-disclosure agreements are being um, ripped up or allowed to expire. Um, is this a controlled release that's happening, in your opinion? Uh, yes, I think there is a release that's happening. I mean, I, I think the, the White Hats are, are wanting the information to come out. They're kind of green lighting people uh, like JP to come out and and talk about this or thing former military servicemen to talk about it that they're being green lighted and I think the the way the deep state is reacting to that is to like flood the field with a lot of false information or or information mm -hmm. that is misleading or, or fake so yeah you really have to be discerning it's like you have to discern that the signal from the noise and and that's very hard and 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 the way I do that is to find uh, multiple sources that corroborate any one narrative that if you just rely on one source, then yeah. you, you run a big risk of, of getting it wrong or, or, or following uh, the wrong agenda. But if you have um, 
if you cross-reference with independent sources, as is happening here with uh, crypto viewing and, and the information JP has, I think you're on a much more solid foundation for like finding the truth of what's happening. Well, I will um, not look at any of your material and probably not talk. Well, uh, we'll do a couple other segments as this comes out, but uh, maybe we'll do some more work for you in the future. It will be done double blind when we least expect it. I would say six months to a year at least, but yeah. uh, time goes by fast. Like they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't dare give us another one right away. I don't, I don't mm -hmm. think. Yeah, I understand. Well, I want to thank you, Dick, for coming on Exopolitics today and, and, and sharing your uh, experiences on this uh, incredible Atlantic Space Arc uh, remote viewing. And uh, again, people just head over to patreon.com forward slash crypto viewing to subscribe and to watch the full report that goes for two hours. And uh, I just wanted to announce uh, that uh, next week on uh, April 22nd, there'll be my new webinar series, two hours of um, Q&A, where I'll be able to talk about uh, and answer your questions on space arcs, JP missions, and other breaking news. So information, you can just go to exopolitics.org uh, to get that. So thank you and aloha. Aloha. You have been listening to Exopolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to this channel. Join or start a conversation in the comments. Take the time to explore the vast library of best-selling books, webinars, and podcasts by Dr. Sala. Visit exopoliticstoday.com. Robust uh, social...